Welcome back to Brit David Podcast and the conclusion to Andy Wells' message, the most important question, who do you say that he is? Number two, Jesus is son of man. He was fully God and he was fully man. And so what does the Bible say about Jesus' humanity? 1 John 2, 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now when it says the man, he's not saying he's male, it's saying that he is human. We also see many human characteristics in Jesus. He was a man. I know all of us in here would agree, but, but a lot of people would say, no, he never existed. But I wanted to look at what... What makes him human? So he hungered. He had to sleep. He wept. He experienced temptation. He was born of a woman, a human woman. Jesus didn't just come on the scene at 30 years old knowing everything like we would expect God to do, expect God to already know everything. He was born of a woman. He had to learn how to speak. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to take care of himself. had to learn everything. Had to learn how to do everything. He was just like we are. We had to do the same things. And the Bible tells us of those things. He was human. And one of the most human things that he did was he died. Same thing each and every one of us will do if the Lord tarries. The eternal word was in the form of God and then he lowered himself and he took on the form of a slave. So how did human and divine Come together. And not to get in a lot of theology, because you know, I don't want y'all snoring on me out there, but God has one divine nature in three persons, the Trinity. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus has two natures in one person. He's divine and he's human in the same person. He shares his essence with his Father. He shares his essence with man. Not 50% man and 50% God. He is 100% God and 100% human. He bridged the gap between divinity and humanity. That's why I love the picture of the transfiguration. Jesus was up on the mountain, and he brought Peter, James, and John with him, and he was transfigured, and they saw him in his true form, and they say his, his clothes were a brilliant white light, and his face shone like the sun. He was transfigured. And the disciples saw Moses and Elijah there with him, and they heard the voice from his father. Uh, Peter had saw Moses and Elijah, and he said, let's build three altars here and stay here and worship the three. And, G and God, him, God the Father, he heard a voice from him saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You listen to him. He's more important than Elijah and Moses. You listen to him. It's not all three. It's him. He's the one. If you look at that, that moment in time there you see the new covenant in Jesus and you see the old covenant with the law and the prophets represented by Moses and Elijah and you see God the Father. Now imagine, imagine that moment. Man's below on the mountain. God's up above. And Jesus is in the middle there. He's the connecting point between God and man. And it's Jesus. He bridges the gap between God and man. It's our way to God. The only way to God is through Jesus. 
Wayne Gruden said that the God, the Son becoming man or Jesus is the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. So why is this important? Because if you want to see God, then you got to look to Jesus. If you want to know how humanity was made and how humanity was meant to look, then you look at the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is how we relate to God. If Jesus hadn't come, we wouldn't know very much about God. We can only relate to something that we know and something that we can understand. And even though we can't fully understand Jesus, we know that he understands us. He experienced everything that we experience. You ever been rejected by family or friends? Jesus understands. You ever been betrayed or stabbed in the back? Jesus understands. You ever felt the pain of losing a a relative or family member, friend? Jesus understands. He understands what temptations we go through. He understands it because he has lived through it. We can take comfort in the fact that when we talk to God, he understands our hurts. He understands our temptations and our joys because he's experienced them as well. This is just throwing in here for you right quick. Imagine a Muslim who believes their God is deistic and, and just put us out here and fend for ourselves. They think that God is, that would God would be, it would be beneath God to have a relationship with his creation. Imagine how terrible that would be if we couldn't have a relationship with God. He understands us. He's been through these things. He understands what you go through. There's nothing you can go through or bring to him that he can't, he doesn't have the answer for because he's been there. We don't have to explain things to him like it's foreign to him. He already knows. You know, we talked a little bit in Sunday school this morning on the prayer list about kidney stones and things like that. And, and, and I'd always heard that kidney stones were terrible. The worst pain a man can go through other than, well, as a man. It's the worst thing, I guess, next to uh, childbirth. He says the, the worst thing or the closest thing to that a man can go through. But I never understood that until I experienced that, until I went through that. Now I can understand what somebody's going through because I've had, I've had a, my share of them. But I can understand what somebody goes through now when they say I've got, I'm, I'm dealing with kidney stones. And sometimes, well, we can, when we understand it and we've experienced it and we've gone through it, we can empathize then with that, that person, with what they're going through. We can try to help that person with what they're going through. We can try to give them advice. Hey, this has helped me. This helped me get through that. Go ask your doctor this. Do this. Do this. And sometimes we just have to suffer through a situation with them. We just have to suffer with them. That's all we can do sometimes is just sit in a chair beside someone and not even talk. Just be there with them. Jesus understands all this. He has been there. He knows. He understands. Number three. Jesus is love personified. God is love, therefore Jesus is also love. 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sin. It's not that we love God and he, then, then he agreed to sacrifice himself and take our place because we loved him, no. Not at all. He loved us even though we constantly turn our backs on him. We reject him. 
almost like we spit in his face sometimes. And he still loves us. He still loves us. He wanted to be that, that, that satisfaction of God's wrath for us. He wanted to take our place for us, not for him. He volunteered for the cross because he wanted to get it right. He wanted to make sure it was done right. He loves us. There's nothing we did or nothing we can do to cause him to love us or love us any more than he already does. He loved us before we were even created. And knowing what was going to happen, he created us anyway. I tell you, I don't know if I'd made that decision, y'all. If I knew what it was going to cause, I might find something else to create, but he didn't. And I'm thankful that he didn't. He loves us. We were made from the love of God and in the overflowing of love, of love from the Father to the Son and through the Spirit. We push him away. We chase after our other loves. But Jesus is still there for us. He still loves us. And we can't truly love others without God. If you've been in church last Sunday and this Sunday, you've got a taste of this. And I told Tim the other day that you took a little bit of my sermon away and you're just going to get a double dose tonight. But you can't truly love others without God. Now, does that mean that, someone, that the lost can't love someone? Of course not. Of course they can love someone. But we can't truly understand the depths of love, of true love, without experiencing that agape love that Christ showed for us on the cross. Remember that experience? You've got to experience that. It has to be an experience with you and, and Jesus and you and God. You have to experience that love to be able to give it to others. Romans 5, 5 says that God pours out his love to us into our hearts by the Spirit. And Christ pouring his love to us through the Spirit enables us to love others the way we're meant to love others. And so who exactly are we to love? I got a quick, short, great answer for that, I hope. Who did Jesus love? Who did Jesus love? Who are we to love? Same people Jesus loves. And I don't know of one that's ever lived that Jesus didn't die for. I'm not, it's not possible for me to love that way, I don't think. Jesus says that he is, but I don't know. He loved everyone. I have to, I have to watch myself sometimes. I have to... I don't think good thoughts all the time about some people, to be honest with you. It's hard, it's hard to love everybody. And if you're honest, you'll agree with me. But I have to remind myself that Jesus died for that person just like, I, just like he died for me. He loves that person just as much as he loves me, and I'm not special any more than that other person. I'm no better than, any, than, than anyone else. So I have to watch my heart sometimes because it's tough. Matthew 22, 36 through 40 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Moses gave us ten laws. The Levitical law increased it to 613. Now Jesus is summarizing all of that up and two, and why not just one? They just asked for one. Why didn't he just give them one? It's because the two go hand in hand. If you do the first one, the results will be the second, and you can't do the second if you don't do the first. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, the results will be you will love others as yourself. 
You ever known someone that attends church, claims to be a Christian, claims to love the Lord, and then they got the nastiest attitude you have ever seen in your life? And don't go pointing. Nobody in here. But I know people that, that I, I would think of that way. It makes you question their Christianity. It makes you question your salvation. And that's not for me to do, but it makes me do that, just to be honest. It, it does. It makes you question. Because I don't think that you can know the love of Christ and be miserable while you're forgiven. I don't think that's possible. If you got the love of Christ in your heart, you got to show that. You will show that, whether you mean to or not. I think you will. I just don't think it's possible to be miserable and unhappy and a bad attitude. Always, no, we're going to have bad times. We'll have bad days. But it's, there's something about it. You can't have the love of Christ in your heart, be forgiven and, and be unhappy and not have that joy of the Lord in your heart. And then Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment. I love this one now. A new commandment I give to you, that you will love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this they will know, or, I'm sorry, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There is something unique about the way a disciple of Christ loves others. Jesus said it will be so apparent that others will know it, that others will see it, and that they will know that you are his disciple by the way that you love others. It's something, you say, others, I said others can't love the same way. Jesus says it's so unique that they'll see a difference. There will be a difference in a way a disciple of Christ loves when you compare it to the lost. There has to be. If Jesus loves everyone, and Jesus died for everyone, is that's agape love. And we're to have that same love. And if we show that same love, there'll be a difference. It'll be unique. And people will be able to see it. What about you? Do you love others in that way? And I'm talking to myself here too. Do I love others in that way to where others see a difference in it? If not, we got work to do. We got some soul searching and some praying to do. And some repenting to do. And finally, number four. Jesus is Savior. I've always heard the, well, not always, but I've heard, you know, everybody wants a Savior. Nobody wants a Lord. We want our own will, but we want to be saved, but we don't want to do what the Lord tells us. I just thought I'd throw that out there for you. Everybody, lo everybody wants a Savior. Nobody wants a Lord. There's never been a time that the Son, the S-O-N, did not exist. Now, I can't wrap my head quite around that, that eternity past part. I get eternity future. Eternity past, I don't get. But it's the truth. He has been perfect. He has been sinless. He never put his desires before the Father's desires. He's always been in perfect harmony and unity with the Spirit and the Father. He loved, the, he loved humanity before it ever existed. And he knew that even though man would be created perfect and sinless that one day we would fall and put our desires before our creator's desires and before our creator's will and bring forth sin. And since there, we can never be good enough or there's nothing that we can do to pay that debt that sin causes, Johnny Hunt says we owe a debt, what does he say? He paid a debt he didn't owe because we owe a debt we can't pay. 
we can't pay the sin debt that we cause. And Jesus still wanted to have us in, in his presence for eternity, and he wanted to make a way for his creation that he created in Mago Day in the image of Almighty God to be able to be in fellowship with him for all of eternity in relationship with him for all of eternity. He had to make a way for that to be possible. And that way for, was for, his, for the son to empty himself and take on the form of a bondservant and be made in the likeness of man. The one who created in his likeness is now taking on the likeness of man. He humbled himself. He lowered himself and left his throne in glory and entered into his creation. And he was born of a virgin and he lived a perfect and sinless life. He was betrayed, he was arrested, treated like a common criminal, beaten, tortured, humiliated, crucified between two thieves and buried in a barred tomb. And that could have been the end. But if it was, he would have failed. And Jesus can't fail. He's God. He's the greatest possible being. He come up out of that grave on a third date, defeating sin, death, and hell for all time. Nothing could stop him, not even the gates of hell could hold him back. He won, and by him winning, I won, and you won. Who do I say he is? I say Peter was, was more right than probably he even knew at the time. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He is the Savior of the world. And the most important thing to know about Jesus is not that he was a good man or he was a teacher or he was a moral person. It's that he died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. A man once said, Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. He's now seated at the right hand of God and he'll come again one day to take us home with him. And Jesus died so that the worst of sinners and the worst of humanity would have an opportunity for redemption and eternal life with him in glory. He is our Savior. But you got to let him save you. It's already done. The deed is done. It's already there. you just got to let him do it and accept it for your life. In closing, I want to read you a writing by a man named James Allen Francis. And y'all, I'm sure a lot of y'all know this, but I think it's great. It's called One Solitary Life. And he says in a few words, which has probably taken me about 40 minutes to tell you here, uh, here tonight, but I want to read this to you because I think it's really just wonderful. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, a child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home, never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one thing that usually accompanies greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He had nothing to do with the world except his naked power of his divine manhood. While he was still a young man, a tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His executioner gambled for the only piece of property he had on this earth while he was dying, and that was his coat. 
When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a barred grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that were ever born, and all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on this earth as, the powerful, as powerfully as has that one solitary life. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. I tell you, tonight I challenge you, do some soul searching. What impact has Jesus had on your life? How's your relationship with Jesus? Or do you even have a relationship with Jesus? Ask yourself that one life-changing, most important question. Who do I say that Jesus is? Pastor Tim thanks you for joining us here today on Britt David Podcast. And he would like to invite you to check out our past messages here in our podcast library. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.